down, so here we go. Yeah, I've got a good sound guy. Um, we're going to um, read the scripture for this morning. We're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Um, now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved, wanted to resolve the divorce quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's just pray one more time as we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we are here before you, here before your word. Uh, we wish to thank you for it, and we ask that you are blessed to our hearts. Uh, may you um, help us to understand it and help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, has anyone ever heard the game, the video game called Minecraft? Put your hand up if you heard the video game called Minecraft. All right. So keep your hand up if you have a child or children playing it. Good. So, you do you know how I can get the kids off Minecraft? Any tips? No? <laughs> All right. It doesn't work. Okay. So, gadgets away. Good advice. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> when they're about 50. All right. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Well, for those who don't know about the video game Minecraft, it's an open-ended game where players decide um, what they want to do all by themselves. There are a few different modes. There is a creative mode where they can, players can build whatever they want. Um, there is a survival mode where players explore the world, um, mine its resources to feed, like there's animals in there. Um, they've got resources to build a house and, and to defend themselves from any, any dangers out there. And then there's, uh, lastly, there's an online mode where players um, join together on the internet and they make up their own rules. So there are different ways to play the game. And as the title suggests, um, players mine resources and craft all sorts of things. So that's what it is, mine resources, craft things. And in case you're wondering, yes, Rowan and I are playing the game. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes, and only sometimes, I'm just playing the game so I can help Rowan when he needs it. Other times, well, you know how it is. It's a, an addictive game. I do play it myself. It's fun, actually. 
you know, I was, I was a bit hesitant to, to play it because I think the, you know, 1990s graphics, I'm thinking, what, what kind of a game is this? Aren't the graphics a lot better these days? But when, since I started playing it, I think this is, pre this is pretty good. Anyway, the main character of the game, is named, his name is Steve, and he exists in a virtual block world, having to mine resources and craft for survival. Um, so basically, there's this other world on a screen, and players control Steve to manipulate this other world. It is as though the player is a god, and um, is god of this world, and god of Steve, and the player is free to do whatever they want with this world and with Steve. You know, change it, if there's a mountain, just you can kind of mine half the mountain, looking for your resources, then decide to build a house there, that kind of stuff. Um, as I was playing the game and reflecting on the incarnation of God for Christmas, because that's, that's what I do, I mean, my mind is always ticking, I'm always thinking, I thought to myself, what if I myself entered this game? What if I came into the game to live in this world, not, and, and just, not just to be in this world, but be, to be alongside with Steve? Why would I do that? That's, these are the kind of questions. What if I went to the game, but why, what would be my reason? Why would I do it? I couldn't quite, quite think of one. I mean, I'm just thinking, well, it's good to play, but why would I go into the game? What would be my reason? Why would I leave this world to go into another world? To a Minecraft world? Well, that's exactly what God did. He left his heavenly world for an earthly one. He left heaven to come to earth, not just to live in it, but to live with us. Now, why would he do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at that question, why God would, look, would want to do that. And we're going to look at the name Emmanuel, which we find in verse 23, which means God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. But more importantly, we're going to look at why God would do that, why God would leave heaven, come to earth and be with us. We need to look at this because... It is the heart of what Christmas is all about. If we know everything about Christmas, except the reason why God came to be with us, then it's as if we know nothing about Christmas. Let me say that again. If we know everything about Christmas, except the reason why God came to us, then it's as if we know nothing about Christmas. So that's how important it is. So let's consider the text this morning, and from that passage that I read earlier, I'm just going to look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And here the writer, who is Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he is writing this as fulfilled prophecy. He's saying that God is finally here and this is really, really happening. But I must say, the story doesn't just begin with Jesus coming. The story just doesn't begin here and it wasn't God's first time on earth. So I want to just have a bit of a survey 
in three areas. And I want us to look at um, other moments when God was on earth. And I want us to look at God in the garden, God behind the curtain, and God on the cross. So they're the three, three uh, points we're going to look at. The first point, God in the garden. God dwelt amongst his creation in the Garden of Eden. He lived there with his people, his creation. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we read about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was literally walking because Adam and Eve heard his footsteps. So you know when you're walking on gravel, it makes a sound of gravel. If you're walking on uh, grass, it makes a sound of grass and so forth. In fact, in the game Minecraft, if you're walking on gravel, it actually sounds like gravel. If you're walking on grass, it sounds like grass. So if you, if you hear the sound, you know what they're walking on, you know they're coming. That's the kind of thing that's happening here. You can hear, they, they could have heard the footsteps. God is probably walking on grass, being a garden. And his footsteps sounded that way. Uh, it could have also been a sound that Adam and Eve were familiar with. They knew, oh, they hear the footsteps, oh, God's coming. And they also knew um, who was walking just by the sound. Maybe there's, uh, you know how certain people have a certain walk, and they can, those kind of certain walks can make a different sound. So you, sometimes you can hear, oh, oh, those loud thumbs, oh, that's some, such and such coming or that soft tiptoeing, that's someone else coming, and so forth. Maybe they, they knew God's coming because they just heard the exact sound that they were familiar with. Um, they also heard him speak and had conversations with him. So Adam and Eve heard God speak, and they had conversations with him. So what I get from this is that God didn't just create a world for people, he created a world for himself too, and he didn't create Adam and Eve to be controlled like Steve in Minecraft, he created them because he wanted a personal relationship with them. He wanted to relate to them, to be with them. In the same way that a father would have a relationship with his children. So that's the kind of picture we get here. So God is a personal God who desires personal relationships with people. But something went wrong. Something went wrong in the garden. And in Genesis 3, we find out what happens. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command and ate from the fruit that they were not supposed to, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here we go, Adam and Eve sinned. They decided to be their own God and be the masters of their own world. They decided to push God away and know good and evil for themselves, to put it in their own hands to make their own choices about it. They decided to be wise in their own eyes and forge their own path to be whoever they want to be. So God looked at everything and decided this is going to be catastrophic because not only did he have the garden, in the garden he had the, uh, the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he also had the tree of life in there, which they could freely eat. There's only one tree that they, they couldn't eat from. They had the tree of life there, and he thought, well, if they're going to live this way and eat from the tree of life, there's going to be a catastrophe. So what he did, he sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from the tree of life, and placed a warrior angel at the, at the, on the way back. 
So this angel is guarding the way back. It's almost as if this angel is a big keep out sign saying, because of your sin, you can't come in. He also placed several curses on them that I think are more like reminders of how good things went wrong. For example, we have new life. It's a good thing. It's beautiful. But now there's pain in childbearing. We have relationships. They're wonderful. Whether it's, you know, friendships or, or within marriage. But now there are arguments. Each person wants to dominate the other. Nature is splendid. There's so many wonderful things in nature. But now we have weeds overpowering the garden, depleting the soil, and just so, so much of this, this the good things that have gone wrong. Um, work provides abundance. But now, because of various reasons, could be you know, all kinds of different reasons, there is a struggle against scarcity. So amongst all these curses, there is a hidden gem, a prophecy. So to the serpent, he said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is when God is talking to the serpent, to the Satan behind the serpent. So the word offspring here can also be translated as seed. And what it's saying is that the woman would have a seed. That is, the woman would conceive as a virgin. She would have her own offspring. So here we get the first glimpse of Jesus. God is saying, God is saying here that people have sinned and can no longer come to me. However, I will instead go to them. I will come to them as one of their own. Okay, so right from the very beginning, God promised that he will be with us. No matter how much we decide to push him away, he will still come to us. God still desires a relationship with his creation. Because of our sin, we can't go to him. However, he promised to come to us. The uh, prophecy also states that the woman's seed would suffer a bruise on the heel while crushing the head of the serpent. And I use the word crushing because um, Rowan has a book um, called The Biggest Story. And in that book, um, it uses this same prophecy to, to allude to Jesus as the snake crush, the one who will defeat sin and death for us. Now, this is where we find out why God desires to come to, us, come to us. He desires to defeat the serpent and restore us back to him. So this brings me to my next point. God behind the curtain. Um, he's not playing hide and seek. We don't need to look for him. Um, what do I mean by curtain? Well, God dwelt amongst his people, not only in the garden, but in the temple within the most holy place. So there's a couple of um, verses that I was looking into. So in Exodus 26, verse 31, and 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 14, we learn that there was a veil 
It was a big veil. It was blue, purple, and red. I use the word red because in Exodus, it says scarlet. In um, Chronicles, Second Chronicles, it says crimson, but they're all different types of red. So I'm just going to say blue, purple, and red. And on the curtain, there's a, um, worked into the curtain, is a picture of a warrior angel. On this veil, there's a picture of a warrior angel. And this veil separates the holy place from the most holy place, where God is. It is, and because of the angels on there, it's like a big keep-out sign. And this keep-out sign says, because of your sin, you can't come in. It's also a reminder that He comes to us. He comes down into the most holy place. And uh, once every year, it was instructed that the high priest of Israel would enter the most holy place and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to make atonement on behalf of his people. He's saying, look, if you are going to come to me, something's going to happen that's going to make this possible. Before the high priest goes in to sprinkle on the mercy seat, he would make atonement for himself. Because the high priest had to do this every year, this atonement was not perfect. He always had to make a sacrifice for himself, so he's clean, and make one for his people, and then go in to sprinkle the blood. In fact, this atonement wasn't perfect, but it was more like a picture of one that will be perfect. So you see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew something went wrong. And they try to cover it up themselves. They sewn some fig leaves together and says, this is how I'm going to cover up my problem. But then God said, no, I'm going to do it for you. And so what did God do? He gave them a picture of what it's going to look like. He sacrificed an animal, took the skin and said, here's how I'm going to do it. This is a picture of what's going to happen and how I'm going to do it. So God, throughout all of Bible history, is saying that He's going to cover the sin. He's going to atone for it. And God prophesied that one day there will be an ultimate covering for sin, one that does not need to be repeated, one that is perfect. So in the garden, we just get a picture. In the most holy place, we just get a picture But one day, it won't be just a picture, it'll be a reality. It'll be the real deal. One day, He will come Himself. And that brings us to the third point of God with us. God on the cross. So God veiled Himself in flesh and came to be that perfect sacrifice. God left the realm of heaven to come to earth, to live with us and die in our place. That's why he came. And we find this in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They all record of his death and resurrection. But here's an interesting fact. Not all of them record the details of his birth. If you go to Mark, it starts with John the Baptist. There's no details of his birth. 
So not all the Gospels record the details of his birth, but they all record why he came. He came as a man named Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He came as God, forgiving sins. So he's 100% man, 100% God. You see, all sin is ultimately a sin against God. And Jesus came forgiving sins as though all sins are against him. He came to be with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And I must uh, make this point. There's a difference between experiencing God and being with God. He didn't just do some things or just come and go just so we can experience him. He came so that we can be with him. Like, for example, if you look back into some of the stories... God came to Job in the form of a whirlwind. A terrifying experience. Abraham experienced God in the form of a smoking furnace. Uh, Moses experienced God in the form of a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. So these would have been all terrifying experiences. Here is God as an experience. But when he comes as Jesus... He came personally, not experientially. He came to be with us. It's like uh, going to a concert. And um, the difference at a concert is you might sit in the seats and watch the performance on stage. That's an experience. But if you were to go backstage and meet the performers personally, sure, that's an experience, but you are with the performers. You are meeting them. You are having a one-to-one -one relationship with him. It's becoming personal. So when God came to us, he came so that we can meet him backstage. It's not just a show. He didn't just come to be experienced, he came to be personal. And he came to take away the fear of God. Not by coming in as a whirlwind or, or as, um, as fire. He comes as a baby. Who's afraid of a baby? He takes that fear away from us. He came in the world like one of us. He grew up a person. He came to die in our place and take away the barrier of sin that is between us and God. He came to tear that veil down in the most holy place, allowing people to enter his presence. He came to remove the warrior angels, guarding the way back to God, back to the garden. He came to move that away. Previously, God said, because of your sin, you can't come in. But now he says, because of what Jesus has done, you can now come in. And who does he come to be with? He comes to be with the outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, at his birth, the shepherds, the magi. Just not, not the elite, 
the outcasts. He comes to people. He comes not, not to people who say, you owe me because I tried hard. He doesn't come to those people. But he comes to people who say, you have no reason to accept me except on the basis of what Jesus has done. So he doesn't come to people who say, you owe me because I tried so hard. He comes to people who would say, you have no reason to accept me except on the basis of what Jesus has done. And he came to die on the cross to take away the sin of this world. He came to give his life a ransom for many. So, God dwelt amongst his creation in the Garden of Eden. He lived there with his people, his creation. But because of sin, he removed people from the garden, put a big keep out sign up, and he promised that he would come to us. God dwelt amongst his people in the temple within the most holy place, behind the veil, which was another big keep-out sign. He wouldn't let people in unless the people's sin was taken care of. In fact, he would only let one person in each year on behalf of everybody else, a picture of what God would do when he comes. So then God puts on flesh, he veils himself in flesh, and came to be in this world, to be with us, And to be that perfect sacrifice for sin. He came into the world to die for our sins. And now because of what Jesus has done, the keep out sign has been removed. This is ultimately what Christmas is all about. This is why God came to be with us. God came in this world to remove the barrier of sin. So that all who believe can finally come in just kind of came out that way when I was writing it up. It does rhyme, but I think it just, it's good on the tongue. God came into this world to remove the barrier of sin so that all who believe can finally come in. He came to restore a personal relationship with his creation. Now that the keep out sign has been removed, Will you come in? Now that the barrier of sin has been taken away on the cross, will you believe? See, God has come to you this Christmas. Will you go to him? May the Lord bless his word.